for it to be planted inside of it. So just put your hand on your heart this morning. God, we just pause before you. And we say, God, do your work in us. Let your word come inside of us and transform us. Let your word bring healing to us and refreshment to our bones. Let your word satisfy the longings of our soul. God, let your word speak life into dead bones. God, we ask that your word would speak life over us. That your word would impact us in our minds. That we might have wisdom and revelation from you. God, we're asking that your word would minister to us in such a way that would bring creativity and insight and revelation. God, we're asking that your word would cause us to be fruitful and multiply. That there would be no barrenness in us. That we would be so fruitful in our lives because your word coming in us. That we would stand in awe and have to give you glory because it would be no other way but you. God, we thank you for your word this morning that it is life-giving and powerful and effective. God, we thank you that you would minister through Dave this morning with an anointing that he's never felt or seen before, that you would be your words on his tongue coming through him. God, we thank you. We thank you. Would you just thank him for his word? God, we do. We thank you for your word this morning. And we're excited and anticipating what you're going to do, God. With great joy, we receive your word. In Jesus' name. This morning is actually a message that I, is one that is very, very special to me. It's probably the most wonderful part of God that I know because I experienced it. And it's the word shalom. And don't confuse it with shalom, which is Pastor Mike's favorite word. This word is actually the root word for shalom. And it carries with it a very special meaning to me because I lived it. And I just pray that I am able to share the heart of God behind this message with you because I think it'll mean something special to you at the end also. But it was a very difficult message for me to prepare. I actually wrote it, threw it away, rewrote it, threw it away, rewrote it. I was doing it even last night. Because there were parts of it where sometimes the way I like to study the word is I like to get into the Hebrew, into the Greek, into the, the nuts and bolts, and I try to find a hidden treasure somewhere. And I kept going in that direction. And then God kept saying, no. It just didn't work. And so the treasure isn't buried in this message. It's actually right on the surface. And it's there, it's low-hanging fruit for everybody. And if I could express the heart of God in this message, I had to express it through something that I experienced. And I'm going to bring in people in the Bible that you all know and the lives they live. But then I also have to bring in my life. Because if I am to express, explain to you what shalom is, for me personally, I can't go to somebody else's life 
I have to go to mine. It wouldn't carry the same depth and meaning. And I hope that you will see the heart of God in this message. I want you all to turn over to 2 Corinthians. And this is where I want to start. In chapter 3, Paul is stating basically to these people that he doesn't need any letters of recommendation. He doesn't need anything from anybody to prove or validate his ministry. Instead, it was their lives were the proof that what he was doing was right. And he said in verse 2, You yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tables of stone, but on tables of human hearts. Did you know that your life is a book? It is a book that everybody is reading. I only know one author in this room. She wrote two books. The first book, she actually revealed a lot of what was going on in her life during a very challenging part. And it opened up a part of her book. But you and I didn't write any books. But we are all writing a book with our lives. And if you look at this is a book that I have here. On the back of it and on the inside sleeve, a lot of times it'll just tell what the book is about. It'll tell maybe from somebody else saying, yeah, I read this book and this is what's so great about it. Let me explain a little bit about it. It has a foreword. It has an introduction. But you have to open up this book to really understand what it's all about. A lot of us never open up our books because they don't want some parts of our lives to be known by other people. There are things about me I prefer nobody ever knows and chapters that I wish I could rip out of my book. There's one chapter I'm going to share with you today that I wrestled with God for about a month that please, if there's any way that I could share this message, please show me another way. But I couldn't. It had to be through this chapter. None of you know me. John and Debbie probably know me the best in this room. Ruth and Mike know me the best, and Keith. Outside of that, you all don't know me very well. We, get, we hardly ever get past the little blurbs on the back of the cover, or the inside sleeve, or the introduction in our lives. Men are the absolute worst at this. Men are a lot like pirates. We like to hide and bury things, mostly our personal lives. We talk about sports. We talk about fishing and hunting, our jobs, the latest projects we're doing around the house. We love to share all of those things with people. But what's going on inside of us? Not so much. Women are a lot better at this. They share the intimacies of the things that are going on in their lives. They ask for prayers. They reveal what's hurting them on the inside, and they seek help. Men hide and bury, and that's what we do. If you want to know something about me, I'll never give you, I'll never just tell you. You have to ask me. And that's what it is in our lives. We hide and bury. And that's where we miss it, because... 
we read about people in the Bible, and you'd think that guy, when he's writing and inspiring people to write about various people in the Bible, he'd only share the wonderful, good blessings to make himself look good. But he shares the messy sides of people's lives. Because in that, you learn and see how God can work in and through those people. And you can see the victory in their lives as a result. So that's what I want to get into today. In 2015, God gave me a great gift. At the time, I didn't think it was a gift. Actually, I woke up from a dream crying very bitterly. It distressed me. And in this dream, there was a boxing ring. And I saw myself as the referee. On the left side of me, and I'm looking at this, I'm looking at these three individuals, me as the referee, a boxer to my left was huge. I mean, he had muscles. He was like the rock, Dwayne Johnson. He was absolutely huge. The boxer to my right was as skinny as you could be. His stomach was sunk in. You could see every rib. He hardly had any muscles on him. And, when the, and then they started the box. The big boxer gave an uppercut to the little boxer and threw him back like this. And he just reeled back. And then the big boxer punched him right in the stomach. And the little boxer bent over in pain and fell to the ground on his back. And now I'm in the body of me, the referee. And I'm kneeling down at this little boxer. And I'm seeing him through me, the referee's eyes now. And I begin to have mercy and compassion upon that little boxer because his body was completely broken in two. I saw that he was severed from the stomach, his legs separate from his upper body. And he had this horrible look of pain and agony upon his face. And I was crying. And I felt so bad for that little boxer. And then I recognized the little boxer. It was me. God gave me a glimpse of what I looked like spiritually. He showed me how malnourished I was, how gaunt and emaciated, or whatever the word is, that showed how weak and sickly I was. Now, I wasn't always that way. Now, this was in 2015. When I graduated from high school, that summer is when I and my entire family came to know the Lord. We all became Christians almost all at once. And I was studying all the time, and I was praying, and I was just eating up the Word, and I was just, every book and every tape that I could listen to, and every book that I could read, I was just feeding on this, and feeding and feeding. I was enrolled to go to school for horticulture, because originally I was going to be a landscaper, somebody that was in greenhouse work, something to do with plants, because I loved everything about outside and nature. I didn't want to work in a building at all. So I was enrolled to go to school. While I was in school, I, this, my second year at MATC, 
I actually started up a, a Bible study there, and I led one of my teachers to the baptism of the Holy Spirit and another student. I mean, I was doing a lot of stuff, but I knew that I wasn't going to be in the landscape business. I felt God's call in my life that he wanted me to do more. So I moved to Dallas, Texas, and I went to Bible school down there. I was involved in everything from running TV cameras, working in the warehouse, the mail room. I did Friday night outreaches. We went to downtown Dallas and we preached the gospel to people. I preached open air at football games. Anywhere we went, I, I was just involved in everything. In that, I was in my element. I just grew and flourished. I had some of the best teachers around the nation, some of the most well-known I was even called out at one of the seminars. We were there's like 2,500 people, and one of the well-known ministers called me up and said, you stand up over there. And he gave me, or she gave me, a prophetic word. God's hand was on my life. I moved back to Wisconsin, and I went to work at the Salvation Army in Waukesha. The pastor there took me under his arm, and he just basically showed me everything else that I could do. He allowed me to preach, took me to jails with him. We ministered to people that were homeless, the food pantries. And then I saw a need in Waukesha that there were people that were not being reached because at this time, the mega churches were becoming popular and everyone wanted huge churches. So they did everything to attract families. But I saw there was a niche. There was a group of people that weren't being reached. So I started with the help of the pastor from the Salvation Army, an outreach center in downtown Waukesha. And for 10 years, I did nothing but minister to people who were on drugs, alcohol, mental illness, people who lived in rooming houses. And all they did, and these were people that lived above the storefronts and houses and hotels that were, turned, that were, were glamorous in their days, but now they were called rooming houses for low-income people. And that's what my life was for 10 years. I did that every morning, went to work part-time in the afternoon at an appliance store delivering appliances, and then worked until nine, or went to nine o'clock ministering out on the streets. And that's what I did for 10 years. That's why I, never, I didn't get married, and that's why I had no kids. Because I did all of that, I just, that was my niche. And I was flourishing, spiritually. I was not that little boxer. I probably had a good build back then as a, in the spirit. So what went wrong? How do you go from that to this? In a word, compromise. What happened was the building that I had my outreach center in was over 100 years old. The owner of that died. So the building was to be torn down. My ministry down there was now coming to a close. But I was volunteering at a place in Waukesha for people with disabilities. They offered me a job, and this was the first real job I ever had. I actually was making money, because before then I was extremely poor. I hardly made any money. I could never get married or raise a family on what I was making. I could do nothing. So finally, I had a job that paid money. And now I had a whole bunch of friends. And what happened was, over the course of time, little by little by little, I began to compromise. 
and I spent less time in the Word. I spent less time praying. I allotted only small portions of my day to God. It didn't happen overnight. It just trickled in, and that's what compromise does to people. So that followed me into my marriage because I found someone to marry, and I did get married. Now I'm in my 40s. But that compromise did not allow me to fight against all of the challenges that came against me personally and in our marriage. And I was weak spiritually, and I could not withstand the battles that were coming against us. And what happened was, one day I came home from work, and my wife, the dog, and half the possessions were gone. And now I find myself alone. I find everything destroyed. And now the image, remember that dream I, sh I shared with you? Broken in two, with pain on my face? It was prophetic, because that, w that happened about seven months after I had that dream. So now I find myself in this position where now I'm... I'm completely separated from my wife. Everything is being destroyed. Three months later, my sister calls me. Mom just took Dad to the hospital. He's having trouble seeing. I go there and I watch my dad lose his sight. A few months after that, my mom's in the hospital with cancer. Everything hit me. And I was broken. You would think I would turn to God. Instead, I turned away from him. For a year and a half, I did not go to church. I prayed very little. In fact, I hated myself. I looked at myself, and when Pastor Mike got up here last week and said, don't say bad things about yourself, I said everything bad about myself. I would look at myself in the mirror, and I would just tell myself what I thought about me. That's not a good place to be in life. I hid from everybody. Remember I said pirates like the bury and hide, I did that. I did not see my neighbors for that entire period. I hid from them. I never, if, if I saw them outside, I went inside. If I saw anybody I knew at a grocery store, any store, I left, and I would finish my shopping later. I hid from everybody, including God. I wouldn't go to church because I hated seeing married people. I hated seeing people that were happy in their life. I did not tell anybody at work for that entire time, nobody knew except the owner and one of the other managers because I had to take off from time to time to do the legal things that you do. But nobody else had a clue because I put on the I'm fine face and nobody knew because I buried it. That's what compromise does. So... I'm going through all this period of time where I was hiding from people. It was uncanny how God was bringing people in my life that I should be talking to that I would hide from. My neighbor across the street, I never saw them so much as I did in the store. I saw them, they came to pay their property taxes. I came in the door and I saw them, their back was to me, whoops! I turned around and drove around the neighborhoods for 15 minutes hoping they'd leave. And then I went back in there. I saw another neighbor when it was time to go vote. I hid behind a door because I didn't want that person to see me. Who does a nutty thing like that? <laughs> me. 
I, it, it's, it, it's funny if it's not so sad, <laughs> but that was me. That I, I could never get in front of people. I hid from everybody I knew. So that's what my life was. It was going to work, coming home, and hiding. And that was it. There were morning, there were days I said, God, please don't let me wake up tomorrow. But the only reason I couldn't have that happen was I thought I can't bring any more pain upon my mom and dad. They already have all this going on. And I have no friends at this point. And I can't talk to my mom and dad anymore about any of this because they had enough on their mind. So I hid everything. And I'm praying and I'm laying on the floor a lot. And I'm saying, where are you? And I'm crying out to God, where are you in all of this? So what do you do with a guy like that? What does God look at a guy who was this and now is that? What do you do with him? And that's where we get to that word, shalom. That is where, that is where my healing came. This word first appears in the book of Exodus, chapter 21 and 22. Moses is giving instructions to the people who have been wronged in their life through theft. And it says that if this person gets stolen from, they are called incomplete. And the person who stole from them must make it right. And if you can put up on the overhead the definition of this word... Shalom means to make it good, to restore, to make whole, with the overall sense of fullness and completeness in mind, body, and and estate. I needed to be restored. I was a person that was completely broken. And that was what that dream was, where I was broken in half, and with the agony on my face... That was my life for a year and a half. Completely, I was a broken mess of a man. Nothing like what you know me as. So that was me. And I needed the restorer. I needed to feel some joy in my life. I needed to feel restored. After this point, I thought, God, I am done. You have... You must be so angry with me. I felt that God had completely abandoned me because I am now divorced. I have screwed up everything in my life. And I thought, there is no place for me anymore. This great hope of being something or somebody for God is gone. He can no longer use a man like me. And I felt so guilty and so ashamed of my life. And I hated to be seen by him, and I hated to be seen by other people because I felt judged because I was judging myself as that. But God did restore me. You don't, sometimes when I was crying crying out to God and I was saying, God, where are you? I didn't hear his voice, but he was saying, I'm down here. I'm here fixing the brokenness inside of you. And sometimes you don't realize it, 
but he's healing something on the inside of you. You know, we, we pray for big, spectacular things, but the biggest thing that he can do is heal a human heart that is broken. And he did it, he started with forgiveness. I had to forgive all of those who hurt me. I had, I asked for forgiveness for those that I have hurt. And then the hardest thing for me was to forgive myself. That is the hardest person to forgive is yourself because you constantly beat yourself up. When, Jer- when Jeremiah was prophet, he came to the people and he said, all of you people here, you all, you all think that everything is going good in your life. But I want to tell you, because of your rebellion and your wickedness, because now you are serving other gods and also God, just as Pastor Ruth preached two weeks ago, that they were serving Baal and God. And he said, choose one. You can't serve both. Well, Israel didn't learn their lesson, and they did the same thing again. And Jeremiah is getting up in their face and saying, you can't prophesying, you can't do this because judgment is going to come upon you. God showed me that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, is going to come and he's going to overtake you, destroy your cities, destroy this temple, and he's going to take you captive for 70 years. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to imprison him. They hated because all of the other religious leaders and the A politician said, no, 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 don't listen to him over there because everything is going good. And that's what I did with my life. Every time I made all of those little things in my life where I was compromises, I was telling myself, I can handle this, it's okay. That's what you do. You get self-deceived thinking, I'm a part of the world this little bit, but this little bit's not really going to affect me because I have control over that. I, I won't let it get the better of me. But you don't realize the world, every time you give in to the world, it will win. You can't play with the world and expect to win. I am proof that you lose. But Israel didn't get that message. And they kept saying, no, 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 this won't happen. Well, Jeremiah was right because they were destroyed by the Babylonians and they were taken captive for 70 years. Now, that was my condition before. But then what happened? God sent Nehemiah and Ezra and they rebuilt. Now there is a restoration project going on. And when Nehemiah came on the scene, he started building the walls once again. But you know, when you build a wall, it just doesn't go up overnight. You have to clear out all of the debris, all of the scrap wood. You have to start sorting all of the stones. And that's what God was doing in my life for that year and a half. It didn't look like anything was getting done, but he was clearing out all of the junk. There was a lot of garbage in my life. There was a lot of compromises. There was a lot of wrong thinking. There was a lot of wrong thinking and believing that he had to get out of my life. And you know what? That was painful. Because God had to take out stuff of me that I wasn't comfortable with. And I, had to, I was looking, and he was le- allowing me to see myself. He's saying, Dave, you got to get this out of your life. And it was so uncomfortable for me. 
But that's what happens. That's the care that he takes is he wants to build. He wants to rebuild the walls. And that's what he's going to do in you. And I know that there's other people in this room that are going through the same thing. Maybe you too have made some compromises. You're not quite sold out for God. You, you, you go, it, it's like knowing me. All of you know me just on Sunday morning. Wednesday nights and some, you know, little functions here and there. But you've never spent any time with me. So you really don't know me. It's the same with God. If you just come Sunday, the occasional Bible study and prayer group and different things like that, you never get that intimacy with God. That has to be done at home, in the quiet places. Walking the dog, mowing the lawn, washing the dishes. That's where the intimacy gets developed between you and God. So Nehemiah builds the walls. And God is doing a work in each one of us. You know, turn over to to Luke chapter 15, and this is going to be a little lengthy in reading. I'm going to read the whole thing. It's out of the Passion Translation. In Luke chapter 15, it says, Many dishonest tax collectors and other notorious sinners often gathered around to listen as Jesus taught the people. This raised concerns with the religious leaders and experts of the law. Indignant, they grumbled and complained, saying, Look at how this man associates with, with all these notorious sinners and welcomes them all to come to him. Look at who Jesus mingled with. <laughs> the people that were despised by everybody else. So you think, oh, God's only going to associate with the, the good people in the church. No, he associates with all of the people, even the people that think that they're no good. And when I thought... God has turned his back on me because I turned my back on him and that he wants nothing to do with me. He wanted everything to do with me, even though I didn't know it or understand it. But he associates. Jesus shows the heart of God. Um, in verse 4 then, there once was a shepherd, and so Jesus gets into a story. He's hearing all of this talk from the religious leaders. There once was a shepherd with a hundred lambs, but one of his lambs wandered away and was lost. So the shepherd left the ninety-nine lambs out in the open field and searched in the wilderness for that one lost lamb. He didn't stop until he finally found it. With exuberant joy, he raised it up and replaced it on his shoulders, carrying it back with cheerful delight. Returning home, he called all his friends and neighbors together and said, let's have a party. Come and celebrate with me the return of my lost lamb. It wandered away, but I found it and, it brought it and I brought it home. Jesus continued in the same way. There will be a glorious celebration in heaven over the rescue of one lost sinner who repents, comes back home, and returns to the fold more than for all the righteous people who never strayed away. Jesus gave them another parable. There once was a woman who had ten valuable silver coins. When she lost one of them, she swept it, uh, swept her entire house, diligently searching every corner of her house for that one lost coin. When she finally found it, she gathered all of her friends and neighbors 
for a celebration, telling them, come and celebrate with me. I had lost my precious silver coin, but now I have found it. That's the way God responds every time one lost sinner repents and turns to him. He says to all of his angels, let's have a joyous celebration for that one who was lost, I have found. And then it goes into the story of the prodigal son. And I don't want to read the whole thing. I'll kind of, I'll tell the story instead, just to save on a little bit of time here. The one son wanted his inheritance, his part. So his father gives it to him. But he goes out and he spends it on riotous living. He eventually runs out of money. And now there's a famine in the land. So what does he do? He goes and he eats this, all of the, the food that the pigs are eating. And he's thinking to himself, you know, even the servants in my father's house eat better than I'm eating right now. I'm going to go back and I'm going to tell my father I'm sorry and I'm going to ask that, you know, I'm not even worthy to be called your son, but if you just hire me on, that'll be okay. And he goes back, he starts going back home and his father sees him off in the distance and the father runs after him, embraces him and just holds him in his arms and he's just, I'm so glad you're home. And then he has a, a wonderful celebration in his house because his son that was lost was now found. You guys, this is the heart of God. God is searching for you. He wants you close to him. In one of the stories that Pastor Ruth had um, two weeks ago, I want to share something that I found really interesting out of that. It's in 1 Kings chapter 18. Now, I'm not going to tell the whole story about it. I told a little bit of it earlier. This was when Elijah, well, Israel was going between serving God and serving Baal. And so Elijah calls and says, okay, now we're going to have this, you know, we're going to this showdown and we're going to see which God answers by fire, the uh, religious leaders of Baal, you present your sacrifice, and if your God answers by fire, then we'll worship him. But then I'll pre- prepare a sacrifice, and if God answers with fire, we'll worship him. But the part I, that really caught my eye it was in verse 30. Then Elijah says to all, this is after the uh, prophets of Baal couldn't do anything. So then Elijah said to all of the people, Come here to me. And they came to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Now, who tore the, down the altar? Probably those religious leaders of Baal. They probably tore down that altar. Now, let's just say that Elijah's playing the part of God in this story. The people were astray. And he said, come to me. And he starts repairing the altar. Nehemiah repaired and restored the wall. Elijah's restoring the altar. God is a God of restoration. He builds things that are torn down. They were torn down because of idolatry. But they were being, it was being rebuilt. But look at, this is the part that really got me. In verse 
Um, Elijah's praying, and you know, I'm going to start in verse 36 to get in context. And at the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you are Lord, our God, and this is the part I want you to really get, and that you are turning their hearts back again. And then fire of the Lord fell and burnt up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and licked up all of the water in the trench. This is, this is what I want to get across to you. The part of the prayer that I think God was most interested in was that last part. God didn't have to prove himself to anybody. I mean, all of creation proves that he's God and that he's all-powerful. He wanted to prove that he was turning their hearts back to him. And he didn't do it with a little, like you light your gas grill, little poof goes on, and you suddenly see a poof under the, under the sacrifice, and you get that slow burn, you just kind of watch it go, and they just sit there watching it brown, flip it, watch it brown. No, he didn't do it that way. He did it dramatically. Because I'm telling you, I'm turning your heart back to me, and I'm going to show you in the best and most powerful way, and he burnt up everything. The same way that the father ran after his son, and he leaped on him and grabbed him. God is, and, and, and the lady who lost the coin, and the guy who lost his little lamb, they there's a celebration. There is a joy in the heart of God when you return back to him. And that's what I felt when I came back to God. Um, turn to John chapter 10. John 10, 10. I don't know if you have it up there. Some of these verses that I'm going to be giving you, like I said, a lot of this was written at over the course of time. To know the heart of God when you're restored is knowing the brokenness before. If, if I were to tell you that God restores and tell you the story about David who committed adultery and then planned an ex uh, to have her husband killed. And if I told you about a guy named Samson who totally messed up his life or how a guy named Moses killed a man trying to protect another man but feared for his life and went for 40 years hiding in a desert like I hid in my log cabin. If I tell you about the stories about people two, three, and 4,000 years ago, it loses its impact. But when you see the guy standing in front of you, completely broken and then restored, it means something to you. Because you see that it can happen. But some of you aren't broken, and some of you aren't in need of restoration because of anything you did. Mine was a self-inflicted wound. I brought this upon myself. But there's also people in this room that they're wounded 
because of no fault of their own. They may have lost a job. They may have lost somebody. They may have lost some part of their health. And that's no fault of yours. It's a part of John chapter 10, verse 10, where it says, The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. The enemy comes to steal and to kill from all of us. He wants to destroy your life, your provisions. He wants to steal from you. He wants to steal your joy, your happiness, your sense that you even have a future. He wants to take that away from you. And he wants you, to, he wants you in a broken state. But Jesus is all about restoration, about drawing you back, welcoming you back in. And it's not like you've done anything wrong, but you're in need because something had been broken in your life of no fault of your own, but you still need that fixed. And God can bring that joy back. He can bring that purpose back. He can bring that that, that sense of purpose in your life. He can... He can recreate that and fulfill that in you. One of the last scriptures I want you to turn to is Luke chapter 4, verse 18. This is Jesus, and he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Now, you you probably heard me quote this verse quite often in prayer time because I used this prayer when I was broken. Because it, that word broken, um, brokenhearted means to heal from a crushed condition of a broken heart. And then to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. I needed that for my dad to set at liberty them that are bruised. That word bruised means broken by calamity or a shattered life. So that's, that's Jesus. He's come to heal that stuff in you. He's come to heal your broken hearts. Anything that's been shattered, anything that's been bruised, anything that's been stolen from you, he wants to repair that. He wants to build up those walls in your life again. And when you feel like you are nothing, and that you have nothing left in your life, I want you to know that there is. As long as you are still taking a breath this morning, you have a purpose with God, and he wants to fulfill it in you. We all pray for miracles and signs and wonders to be done and revival to happen in our land. But you know what? He needs your heart healed because he needs you. And he's doing a work on the inside of you so that you will be able to withstand. Me as that little scrawny little boxer, I, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't stand up against that, that attack that was coming against me. It just took two punches and I was down. I, there was no way that I could win. And if you're not feeding on the word of God, if you're not nourishing your spirit, if you are, you know how much I, I spent in the word? I gave God 
I think five minutes in the morning before I went to work. That's it. I forgot how to study. I forgot where scriptures were. I forgot all of that. I never opened up my concordance during my entire marriage. Didn't open up my study books. Didn't research things. I had other things to do. I started getting attracted by things in the world. And my, my, my days became very full. And I didn't spend that time. And I got less and less. Going to church, yeah, okay, let's go. I did nothing in the church. I was involved in nothing. I served, did nothing. I went in and out, in and out, and that was it. Never spent any time, didn't care to make any friends, didn't care to do anything in ministry. I didn't care. And if it was cold and rainy, oh, let's stay home. Let's make something good for, for breakfast or something. That was, that was it. And if you're living like that, if you're living that compromise, know that that's why, you know, ask God, maybe he'll show you what your spirit looks like. But you need to put muscle on. And it was so weird, as I was growing skinny and scrawny spiritually, and I was getting fat physically. I kept going another step, another size on my pants, and then another size, and then a bunch of clothes didn't fit. And you know why? Because I started eating comfort foods, because something was wrong inside. And forget the bowl, I'll just take the tub of ice cream. Let's have some more cookies. And that was how I, it was. So I had to make a change. And I think you need to make a change too, if that's you. So, um, we're near closing here. The last thing that I want to share with you from the Word is this. You don't have it, but I'm going to share it with you. Solomon, if you remember the prayer that Solomon prayed when he was about to be called, made king, he didn't ask for riches, he didn't ask for the hand of his enemy, he didn't ask for anything in the world. What he asked for was, God, give me wisdom. And God was so impressed that because you didn't ask for all these other things, I'm going to give you all of those things, but I am going to give you so much wisdom. And he had so much wisdom. I mean, it was oozing out of every pore. I mean, people were coming to him for advice all over the place. He had so much wisdom. But he started, and that's the way things were in those days, he started hoarding wives. And it was wives and women from pagan lands. And it says that they turned his heart and he started worshiping other gods. And things went south for Solomon. And he warned his, his son. He, he, sa he said, the wisdom of God is a virtuous woman. The wisdom of the world is a strange woman. So he gives gender to wisdom. And he says to the wisdom of God, 
Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom with all you're getting. Get understanding. Exalt her, and she shall promote thee. She shall bring you to honor when you do embrace her. She will give you a head of ornament of grace, a crown of glory shall she deliver to you. Hear, my son, and receive my sayings, and of the years of your life shall be many. Let not depart out of your mouth. Keep uh, all these words in your heart, for they are life unto those that find them, and health to all of their flesh. And he goes on to say that you are to embrace the wisdom of God. If you embrace the wisdom of the world is a strange woman, it said, her end is bitter and her feet are swift to death. So you need to embrace the wisdom of God. So now I'm going to ask everybody here, what condition is your spirit in? Are you anything like I was? Are you hurting inside? Do you know, and you know, because I knew back then too that I had strayed from God. Do you know if that is you? The other people I want to ask is, are you hurting inside? Is there something in you that needs to be rebuilt, restored? God is moving this morning to build walls, the altar, build the stones back up, build up your strength. He wants to restore what has been stolen from you. And... I don't want this to be like any kind of like a an altar call that is something that is superficial to you. I want this to be something that is really genuine and true in you. You know that if you've strayed any way from God, you know that in your heart. This was a very embarrassing thing for me to talk to you about. And I pled with God, please don't let me share that chapter of my life with these people. I don't want them to know that about me. You know, there's things that you don't want people to know because now everybody will see me different. But you shouldn't be ashamed either to come to God because what brought me the most pain in my life later showed me the most wonderful part of God that I ever knew because I wasn't reading it out of the Bible anymore about God, how God restored people in the past. I felt him restore me. And I want, you to, I want you to know that, God. I want you to know that no matter what you did in your life, you don't have to be ashamed to come to him. You don't have to be ashamed to ask for forgiveness and to ask, listen, he loves you. And he cares so deeply for you. He wants to wrap his arms around you like the, the father to that prodigal son. He wants to show you in a powerful way, just like he sent fire from heaven and, and didn't just do a little bit. He just did a dramatic explosion of fire to burn up everything. That's what he wants to do with you. He wants to show you his love that is so vast and so complete and so mighty. Don't throw that away today. His restoration is a great gift. And if any of you are hurting inside because of something that the enemy has stolen, destroyed from you, don't become bitter. Don't turn 
your back and, and lose your joy. Because you go look at the restoration scriptures in the Bible, it's, it talks about restoring the joy. David, oh, if I could read it now, the, Psalm, this afternoon, go read Psalm 51. That's the Psalm that David wrote after he had been caught in the act of adultery and murder. And he lays out his heart before God and he says, I am so guilty. And he says, and he pleads with God not to leave him. And it said, he said, restore to me the joy of my salvation. God wants to restore everything that has been stolen from you. And you don't have to live a life like me where I was hiding inside myself and, and punishing myself and punishing everybody around me. You don't have to live like that. You can be healed. And if you've been, if anything's been stolen by the devil in your life, God wants to restore it. And he wants that joy to return back into your life. Don't live a life where you feel as though the best is done. I'm gone. There's nothing left. Don't don't do that. So I'm going to ask if, if any of those, if you're you fall into any of those people, if the prayer team would come up here and join me, please. I'm going to ask everybody to stand up. If you need restoration in any area of your life. And I'm speaking to a lot of the men here because remember we like to bury and hide things. And we don't like to ask for help because it's a sign of weakness in our minds. But I I expressed the vulnerability that I had in my life. I would ask that you would not be ashamed to come forward and just come to people here that have gone through similar things in their lives. These two women went through losses. These people over here have gone through things in their lives too. Everybody has a chapter in their life that they wish they could tear out and re or rewrite, that things would be different. So I'm welcoming anyone who would like to respond and fall and let God wrap his arms around you today to come forward and just allow us to pray with you so that you can have some relief and comfort and hope in your life. in need of any restoration Lord just move upon hearts let their hearts be tender before you let them experience your goodness and your mercies and anyone in need of healing or restoration in their hearts and in their lives let them now know that you love them and care so deeply for them wants prayer, please come forward to us. John, would you please pass her? Before we leave, Pastor Mike always has a blessing for us.
And I'm going to back up just a little bit because I don't know if we all know that that comes from Numbers, the book of Numbers, chapter 6, verses uh, 22 on. But there's a little bit in here that doesn't always get mentioned. And that's verse 22. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Okay, this is God speaking here. Tell Aaron and his sons, This is how you are to bless the Israelites. Okay? So this is what God is saying. This is how you do it. This is what you say. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face in the name of Jesus go on.